0: Hello, everyone. Um, Welcome back to our house. Uh, It's been a while since we've done one of these, but uh, that's life as it is at the moment. Uh, It's wonderful to still be able to be uh, able to be a part of the service today and able to share God's word with you. And before we get into God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your son. We thank you that through Jesus we've come to know who you are all the more. We thank you that we have your word to teach us about you, about the world and about everything that matters. And in this series, as we consider the things that matter, we just pray that you'll help us to be drawn closer to you and to understand who you are more and to be shaped by your word into being your people, into being more like Jesus, into being who you have called us to be. We thank you for your word and we pray that it will be a blessing to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Might just lock that one in place. Over the last couple of weeks, we've established... uh, the key, the important things about who God is. And we've established that Jesus is the one and only son. But now, today, we come to the heart of the gospel. and It's by this gospel, as God's word says, that we're saved by we know what God has done for us and we're able to put our trust in him. And this is an essential thing. And so we come to the next point in our statement of faith. We believe that Jesus gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And uh, there, along with it, there's some passages to make sure, again, that what, what is being claimed is in line with what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to turn now to uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Hebrews 9.24-28 it reads, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself uh, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest uh, enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin, uh, sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once and also after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We'll get a bit more onto that one in a few more weeks. And then Hebrews ten twelve to 14. When this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And we've got one more from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to pick up this morning uh, on three phrases uh, from that statement of faith and as brought out in those verses. Perfect sacrifice, the the what of the gospel. Um, You know, what is the gospel about this perfect sacrifice that Jesus has made? That's part one. Two, the sins of the world, the why of the gospel, why Jesus has done what he has done. We already looked at the who over the last couple of weeks. So thirdly, I want to finish with, uh, Jesus gave his life, the how of the gospel, the way that Jesus has saved us. I want to start by thinking about that idea of the perfect sacrifice. Excuse me. Before God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit created the world. He knew that we would reject him. He knew that our sin would bring death into the world. He knew that because of our rejection of him, because of our separation from him, we would all face death and face separation for eternity from him. And he knew before the creation of the world that the only way to set things right meant that Jesus had to die, that he would have to be, the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And yet he made us anyway. And knowing from the very beginning what he was going to do, what was going to happen throughout history and what Jesus was going to do on our behalf. God set about explaining from the very beginning, what it would all mean thousands of years before the cross he gave his people, he gave those who would listen, categories to understand what it was that he was going to do in Christ. Now, as it turned out, of course, as Jesus died on the cross, his disciples still didn't fully understand everything that Jesus had done for us. But when Jesus rose, he showed them, he went back with them over the scriptures and showed them how God had been telling them for years what it was going to mean when Jesus came and gave his life for us. In the beginning of Genesis, well, the third chapter of Genesis, after Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden and their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they felt shame, and God killed a goat, the sacrifice of another life, which covers the shame that has been caused by our sin, another life given in our place, and there we see God starting to explain what He was going to do in Christ. Then, with His, uh, with His friend, as He's called in the Bible, Abraham and his son Isaac, and God tells Abraham to take Isaac to a place that would one day be known as Calvary and to sacrifice him there. And while there was an element of you know, God testing the faith of Abraham, he was also teaching them something tremendously important, that God has a claim on our lives, but another life can be given in our place, just as God had a claim on Isaac's life, but in his place at the last moment, the life of a ram was given instead. Then again, we have the Passover in the time in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, and God's judgment is poured out on sin. And it's a a very confronting act of judgment, the angel of the Lord coming and killing the firstborn, God's judgment on sin is massive, is unstoppable. But the blood of the lamb, a life given in their place, the blood uh, put on the doorposts could save anyone who listened to what God had said through Moses and put their trust in it. A little while ago, we looked at Leviticus and the Day of Atonement, and the the incredible part of that ceremony where there are the two goats, and one, the hand the priest's hand is put on one and the sins confessed over it, and that goat is put to death, and the other goat brought forward and the the priest puts his hands on it and confesses the sins over the of the people over it. And this goat is driven out into the wilderness, beyond the land of Israel, far away from the people. Teaching his people that there's one that dies in our place, and so our sins are taken far away. We have the idea of the temple, first the tabernacle and then the temple itself, that God is holy and cannot abide the presence of sin But God's holiness can dwell among his people if sins are paid for. And the price for those sins is paid in blood. And yet the blood of animals was never able to pay for sins. Instead, they pointed us to the perfect sacrifice that was to come. They taught us about what that sacrifice was going to mean. For our sins, for our standing before God, and as we have read uh, through those passages at the uh, at the beginning of the sermon, there were a couple of the longer ones were from the Book of Hebrews, and Hebrews is a really interesting book that was written to particularly to Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews, and, and Jewish Christians who were tempted because of the persecution that they were facing as Christians. They were tempted to go back to Judaism. If we can keep God happy being Jews instead of Christians, maybe it's better being Jews because we won't be persecuted. And the author of Hebrews writes to tell them, first of all, that Jesus is better than everything that has come before. But more than that, Jesus has superseded what has come before. Uh, that's, a, that's probably not an everyday sort of word But in the same way that uh, going back a few years, we had analog TV and then they brought in digital TV and there was a little while there, there there was, you could have both. You could switch to the analog, but you could switch to the digital that was better. But now the analog TV is gone. There's no going back to analog TV. It's time is done. It's been superseded. And in the same way, Jesus has superseded the temple he superseded the sacrifices of animals. He superseded the priesthood of the Old Testament. That is, he is better than those things. And he's also replaced those things so that they have no place for us anymore. And, and the point that the author of Hebrews makes multiple times is that Those things from the past, they weren't pointless that were superseded, but their jobs were to point us to him. And if I go slightly earlier into Hebrews chapter 10 than what I read out before in verses uh, 8 to 10, Jesus said that sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. That is, the death of animals was never able to take away sins. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He superseded what has come before and it is now set aside. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. His one sacrifice is all that there ever needs to be. That's why we don't have to bring lambs to church and have them put to death out in the courtyard to pay for our sins. There's no need for priests, uh, especially in the Old Testament sort of sense, uh, bringing the sacrifices and bringing the blood to the holy place before God. No need for Passover lambs for sacrifices. All of it's been replaced and superseded by Jesus. And the only sacrifice that the, the Bible tells us that we are called to give in the New Testament is a life lived for him, a life of thankfulness and obedience, a life uh, in response to the love that God has shown us with this perfect sacrifice made in our place. So that's, as I said at the beginning, that's the what of the gospel. Jesus giving his life on the cross so that um, as, as the perfect sacrifice in our place. But the why of the gospel, that really matters too. Jesus died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. For most of us, uh, depending on where we've been at in our Christian journeys, mostly we begin of thinking of our sins as fairly minor, as mistakes that we make, slip-ups that happen, understandable little foibles, and we compare how we do to how people around us are, particularly those we know that are at least a little bit worse than we are. Our sins seem sometimes like such an inconsequential thing. But the problem is it's because we've been tainted by sin that we've come to think that sin isn't so bad. And the heart of the gospel, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins reminds us that these sins are quite serious, that there was only one thing that could pay the price for our incredible sins. And as the Bible says, we believe that God's Holy Spirit works in us and he's the one that has helped us to realize that actually our sins are quite serious. It's not just that I told a few fibs uh, to my parents or my teachers or my boss or whoever it might have been, you know, little white lies to keep out of trouble. It's not just that I'm sometimes selfish and put my own good above the good of others. It's more than that. It's that my heart is inclined towards what is bad for me and for other people, that my heart is inclined towards rejection of the one who has made me and rejection of the way that he has called me to live, that my sins have alienated me, have separated me from God, that I have rebelled and deserve judgment. That my sin is a heart in defiance of my creator, a disease, not just the symptoms that come out, the individual things that we do wrong, that a disease that leads us to hurt ourselves and others. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And it's a price we would all have to pay because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is serious enough that the only one who could pay the price of it in our place was the Son of God giving his life for us. The Bible is clear, and this is a point we can sometimes not want to make too much of, sometimes want to push to the side. But the Bible is clear. God is angry about sin, a strong anger that is called wrath, an anger from which judgment comes forth. And we understand something of wrath in ourselves. If if there's any justice in us at all, when we see injustice, when we see terrible things happening, On the news, when we see, um, you know, looting happening in, you know, to people who have already suffered from terrible disasters, when we see, you know, terrible human rights abuses in war zones and places and things going on, we feel angry about that injustice and we should. But God's wrath is not like our wrath. God's anger is not like our anger. Our anger is often selfish in some ways. It's often about slights to ourselves or to those that we perceive as our group, our tribe. Our wrath is about putting other people in their place. Our wrath is about making sure that people treat us as they should. God's wrath is not like our wrath. Because in God's anger, he chooses mercy. He chooses love. While we were still his enemies, he loved us. And he hated sin, just as we might hate a deadly disease that was present in somebody that we love, and dragging them away from us. But God is There is also an element in which God is angry at us when we sin. God's wrath is upon our sin. But the incredible thing about that anger is the way that it has driven him to love. The way that it has driven him to the extraordinary gift of the life of Jesus Christ given on the cross for us to show the extent of his love. God is love, but God is also just. God's wrath against sin is just. And justice demands that there is punishment, that there is a penalty for that sin, that there is punishment for my sin and all that I've done wrong, that there is punishment for your sin. For every selfish thought, for every way we've hurt somebody else, for every little white lie or slightly bigger lie, for every wandering eye, For every bitter and hateful thought, for every bit of gossip and slander, not spoken in love about somebody else, justice demands that a price be paid for sin. And God's wrath, his unselfish wrath, his just wrath must be poured out on sin. And it was. And that's the incredible thing of the gospel. God's wrath was poured out, but not on us. It was poured out on Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross didn't just demonstrate what love was, although it certainly did that. It it wasn't just so that then he could conquer death and show us that There is resurrection and life beyond death, although it certainly did that. But his death on the cross dealt with the wrath of God. It brought propitiation, another big word. Uh, It brought appeasement to God. It brought a sense that justice, or not, not a sense, the reality that justice had been done upon these sins, but the only thing that was that the sins weren't on us, they were on Christ, nailed to the cross. What happened at the cross was not an accident. It was not just injustice. It was not really the doings of the Pharisees who hated him or of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. No one took Jesus' life. From him. And this brings us to the final point that I want to think about this uh, in this time. John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus gave his life for you. It wasn't taken. He gave his life. The perfect sacrifice to take away your sins. To take away the sins of the world, which raises the question, is it everybody's sins? Does what Jesus did on the cross mean that everybody will be in heaven? Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for everyone's sins to be forgiven it wasn't as though when he died on the cross that was sufficient for the first two billion people but after that there would need to be another sacrifice no his death was sufficient for everybody's sins to be forgiven but the bible is clear that not everyone will receive what jesus has done for them and even in some of the verses we've seen today that's been brought out hebrews nine twenty eight. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And again, in Hebrews 10:14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I love It's a very interesting phrase in Hebrews 10. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We have been made perfect forever, but we are also those who are being made holy. We've been set right with God. His sacrifice has been perfect. We have, you know, there's nothing more to be paid. But that doesn't mean that we'll get it all right yet. We're still those who are being made holy. And we pray that God will help us a little bit more with that every day. As I've noted a few times today, despite being God's enemies, Jesus gave his life for us. If people at this point still choose to remain his enemies, the hard truth, but the truth, is that God's wrath on them is just. Nothing more could have been done to spare us from ourselves. But if we choose to turn from enmity, enmity towards God, if we choose to follow Jesus and put our trust in him. It is credited to us as righteousness. From slightly before our verse in Romans chapter 4 before. The words that was credited, credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead we will be credited to us, our faith will be credited to us as righteousness. That is, God will look at us and see the goodness of Jesus, see the holiness of Jesus. Because we have put our trust in him, that is how what Jesus has done on the cross, the forgiveness of sins becomes ours. And so in finishing off this morning as we put out as we follow Jesus as we look to be forgiven as we look to be one who follows Jesus and puts our trust in him it means that we need to trust his way is right to trust his word to trust what it says and to trust that if God has said it then it is for a reason now I qualify that with We will not always get it right. We will not always live up to everything we know we should be from the Bible. But we trust and we follow his way knowing that it's right. Even and most especially when his way conflicts with what I want for myself. And even and most especially again, when his way conflicts with what the world says is right. Always choose him the one who gave his life for you. We need to trust his way is right, trust that what he has done on the cross will be enough when I feel like I'm not good enough, when I feel like I've failed God too many times for him to continue bothering to put up with me, when I feel like, well, if I really was a Christian, I wouldn't have this struggle. If I really was a Christian, I wouldn't make these mistakes again. Choosing those moments to trust in Jesus, in what he has done on the cross. Trust that he loves and delights in forgiving all who will come to him and ask for forgiveness, even if it's the 70 times seventh time. What Jesus has done for us on the cross What this truth we've been looking at today means for us as well is that we have an example to follow, to show the kind of love that he has shown to us. And I bring up Ephesians chapter 5 again. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We have an incredible calling a beautiful calling, and a hard calling to love with the kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. Now, we won't be dying on the cross for anybody else's sins, but we can lay our lives down in a hundred little ways every day for those around us, showing the love that we have known from God. And the more that we know his love, the more that it shines forth through us unto others. Our love will be imperfect, but he will be helping us. And we can pray and ask him to continue and to help us and to grow us in that regard. And I've been, I think, in my own life and uh, the things that I've been wrestling with and going through over the last few years, I've been more and more convinced of the importance of spending time in reflection and in prayer and in the word and in seeing and knowing more of his love for us and knowing how incredible and undeserved that love is. And it's natural that from that it becomes just that bit easier to show love of a kind that isn't deserved to others. And the other thing that this this wonderful truth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross means for us is it means that we have a hope and a new life to be able to share with others. In the context of another one of the verses I read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20, had every right to be angry and who did have a very real wrath towards sin was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's given us a part in that job, in that beautiful message. He's given us a hope to share with the people who, around us who so desperately need hope, who need to know that they are loved unconditionally, who need to know that their saviour really, truly cares about them, who need to know that the things of the world that is promising them and the things that are letting them down are not the only way. But that there is a better way. And we can go and say, not probably in these exact words, they can be reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We have so much that we that that means so much to us, so much that we can do, so much that matters. Because Jesus gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible love that you have shown to us. I know in myself I find it hard to love and forgive those who have hurt me in only small ways. And yet while your anger against sin was unselfish and just, you showed us incredible love in not punishing us as our sins deserved, but giving your life as the perfect sacrifice so our sins can be forgiven. Please help us to know deeply and truly in the depths of our hearts, the enormity of the love that you have shown to us. That each failing, each falling short, everything we do only shows us even more the love that you have had for us, that knowing we would get all of these things wrong, you have still chosen us and given your life for us. And may that knowledge not just warm us, but may it shape us into who you call us to be, to people who show your love in very real ways and lay our lives down for others, to be people who share that beautiful message of reconciliation, of love and forgiveness, of hope, We praise you because you deserve to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And hopefully we'll see you all next week. God bless.